0: Is social distancing keeping you from a nail salon? Well, don't worry. Sexy Boss Babe has you covered. Introducing Quick Nails, the do-it-yourself salon manicure in five minutes. They last seven to ten days, are cruelty-free, vegan, recyclable, reusable, and every purchase supports foster youth and sex trafficking survivors. You can look good and change the world. Visit sexybossbabe.com to get a box today. Create a free account to get VIP pricing and benefits. She's a one woman financial advice powerhouse with 10 New York Times bestsellers and winner of two Emmys for her TV show on CNBC. We are proud to say the Sexy Boss Babe podcast is loved and listened to by Susie Orman, the world's number one expert on personal finance. Learn about investing in financial success directly from Susie on her podcast, Women and Money and the Men Smart Enough to Listen. Available now on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most platforms. Hi, everyone. This is Arzo, and you're listening to the Sexy Boss Babe podcast. Today, I have the honor of interviewing someone I truly, truly admire. She comes from the one of the most prominent Jewish-Iranian families in the world, holding stakes in SBE and Qualcomm. She's a former professor of psychology at Mount St. Mary's University and Cal State Long Beach. She has authored multiple books, is a speaker and advocate on women's empowerment, and one of the most generous philanthropists of our time. She's received an honorary doctorate from Woodbury University and has been awarded the Ellis Island Medal of Honor. I'd like to welcome the amazing Angela Nazarian. Thank you so much for having me, Arzo. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, a pleasure. A pleasure. Absolutely. So I, this season, I'm truly interviewing people that I have watched their work, that I've admired in some way, uh, that I look up to. And you are one of those people. I've uh, had the opportunity of attending some of your events and seeing what you have created. And I'm just truly in awe. And you're an amazing person for my audience to hear about uh, because you're a woman of immigrant descent that has come to America and has completely found that American dream of success. Uh, You know, we're
1: very grateful to be in the United States. So it's afforded us so many more
0: opportunities. I'm really interested in your work as an author. You've authored a few different books. A couple of those have been really focused on women. And that's kind of what I want to know about. Why have you chosen those as topics to talk about in your books? And for example, Pioneers of Possible. Um, You chose some very specific women to write about. What were the inspirations behind that? And why should the world know about these women and what they've done through your perspective?
1: Well, thank you for this question. I love this question. You know, um, my journey as an author, and this is for all those people who have a book inside them, really started with um, when I was doing um, personal growth classes for for women. And one of the things that we talked about is that there comes a time, especially in our mid-30s or early 40s, that we feel that we want to inject more enthusiasm in our lives. And usually the things that we're very good at doesn't bring the same intense energy um, for us. And so I actually had a challenge for every woman in in my group saying that we needed to pick up a new skill. And that's something that I've been doing all, all my life. Ever since my 20s, whether it was taking art history classes for a couple of years or taking dance classes for a decade, whatever it is, I think mastery of a skill that you don't know brings a lot of excitement, a lot of skills to you. Uh, you, You have that beginner's feel from the beginning. And so I started taking a writing class. And my first my first book was Life as a Visitor, which really documents um, our family escape from Iran coming to the United States. And while I was doing this book, I never for one second thought that I would be publishing it, but it was really trying to document this for my kids, for my family. And everybody in the class told me, why don't you, you know, why don't you, this is so good, this is amazing, why don't you publish it? And I just thought about it and thought, well, I don't really know of anyone around me that has published a book. I don't know what to do, the first step towards publishing a book. But you know what, I have nothing to lose. And believe it or not, with my second pitch, uh, the um, publishers picked up my book. Uh, While I did my first book, I really was still going back, even my first book was written from the eyes of a psychologist. And I was thinking how important it is for all of us women to have mentors in our lives. And come having come from a more traditional um, culture, I never felt that I had that kind of uh, mentor, where I knew that there was a woman out there, whether in the family or in my circles, that was full-on participating in the outside community, meanwhile enjoying a really rich and dynamic um, family life. And so I think I started by questioning myself, saying if... I wanted to grow closer, even psychically and emotionally to women leaders and see what made them successful, whether they were from different countries or different disciplines. What is what are the nuggets of inspiration that I could share with with uh, my audience? And that's how my first book started. And my you know first book in the women's series started and it was so well received that it was a bestseller for my publishers. That they asked me to continue with a, another volume, and that volume delved even more deeply into some of the characteristics of highly achieving women, and um, that's
0: how it took place. I hope I answered your question. In you a abs- long way. No, that was beautiful. And it was perfect. Um, you covered a lot of of ground and you made my job. easier. (laughs) Those are some of the questions I wanted to ask you. Um, I think that that's pretty incredible. And and one of the themes from a lot of the interviews that I do, uh, with women is finding a mentor. That's one of the biggest pieces of advice that Mm -hmm. so many successful women like yourself have shared with other women. I think that's definitely a, a great, a great idea. And finding, like you said, finding somebody that, um, Uh, lives a fulfilling life that you can learn from. I'm curious, some of the women that you wrote about include Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Frida Kahlo, and even Estee Lauder. Why did you choose those women uh, compared to others? There's a lot of great women. Why those? Yes.
1: So um, there were a few uh, qualifications to be included in that book. I mean, first of all, you want to pick uh women from different ethnic backgrounds that that for me was very important so one of latin origin one african-american one from africa actually Um, you know frida was mexican so that is really important because women define you know the culture also defines a woman's role and how they navigated through their culture to become who they are is very interesting Secondly, it was very important that whomever I covered were the first to, you know, they were trailblazers. They were real pioneers. So they should have been the best in their discipline. So just solely being a woman wasn't enough and being a high achieving woman wasn't enough. But what does it take to be a pioneer? And so when you put those things together and you want to also sample different disciplines and fields, you come up with a real variety of of women, which also casts light on people's differences of experience and some things that they all share in common.
0: Hmm, that's that's very poignant um to to create those those connections between all of those and how you selected. I'm a big proponent of diversity too in our community. It's all about diversity um because all women need to be represented in in that regards and bringing together different women of of uh multiple backgrounds it creates a very special synergy um so it's so neat for me to hear you say that that was how you chose to write your book and, and choose the women that you wrote about.
1: Yes. And you know, the interesting thing about writing is that you live in your own bubble for a numbers and what really happens. And I really um, recommend to all, all your friends and my friends out there to study biographies. Really. There's nothing like it because even if you don't have a real life mentor The fact that you are reading about someone and delving in somebody else's life, you get so many life lessons from that. And not only that, you almost feel like you are setting up a parallel universe for yourself where you can make things possible.
0: Mm, That's really... um... That's really interesting. Um, just in these interviews that I get to do, it it puts me in that space. So I, I I feel so grateful that I get to speak with 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 women like you and and learn from your life experiences. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to find those mentors through biographies. I think that's a great great idea and great suggestion. Um, so another question I have for you: uh, you you've written these three books. Um, you've also written a book uh, called Visionary Women. What is the What is the, I guess, lead up to that book compared to Pioneers of Possible? Um, Because they're all female centric. Yes. Well, you know,
1: for me, I think that first of all, I feel that my community is one where it's very diverse, but I love women. And I feel that um, creating a community of women, of like minded women can bring so many, wonderful things into your life, not only in terms of friendship, but a lot of growth and learning. And so um, in doing Visionary Women, I was just following up on the whole idea of what does it take for women to be successful in their lives Mm -hmm. and also taking a look at their personal lives within those biographies. And then having done that, I felt that the most impactful way that we can carry these messages forward is by having some of the people in the book, or even other people that I wanted to have in the book, but I didn't, you know, manage to put them in because of um, restrictions in terms of, um, you know, pages and how big the book can be, is to bring them to my own community of women in Los Angeles. And that is how Visionary Women nonprofit came about. Uh, it really came about simultaneously with my third book that was called Visionary Women. And it was um, brainchild of you know my brainchild, along with my best friend, her name is Lily Bossy, who has been the two time uh, mayor of Beverly Hills. We sat together and said, let's do things where we can bring women leaders to our community. So it could be, so people can approach them, talk to them, where women can meet each other, talk to each other, and grow together. And they can also have a giving circle so we can make an impact in our own community and support women's initiatives. So, you know, it's really interesting, Arzo, how you, you know, surely in my 20s, I thought I was going to be a psychology professor and I had no idea where my life would take me. But it's interesting that at every step of the way and with every decade or every step I've made, I build on what I had. So writing the books, I use my psychology background with the books. I then I use the psychology background and my work in, on various sports to bring together to, you know, another nonprofit. And. I feel that this is one of my biggest joys and one of the bigger challenges um, how to bring people together in a very meaningful way and make it be a very
0: thriving community that's that's beautiful and and i have I have some additional questions about uh, visionary women the organization but i I wanted to just there's something that 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 was kind of lingering for me uh still with with some of the um the types of people that you chose to write about in your book Mm -hmm. uh, and, and visionary women, you covered, uh, business tycoons, um, authors, uh, you know, women that were dancers or dreamers, social activists, spiritual leaders, painters. What's interesting is these are women in your perspective or from your perspective that you view are successful or bring some type of beauty into the world. Um, and I really like the juxtaposition between choosing a business tycoon and paralleling that to somebody that's a dreamer. And, and most people would never say that. Mm-hmm. What was your perspective on, on making those comparisons or, or saying, hey, these, these are people that, that are equally as incredible?
1: So, you know, I think the question that you're asking is really interesting. And it's the first time that anyone has asked me this question. And I think it goes back to the point where there's diversity in the way that we perceive success mm-hmm. as well. Um, I, I truly feel that, uh, you know, for example, I covered uh, Ama, who is a spiritual leader, and she comes from the Dalit caste, which is one of the lowest caste members, but yet she is now a living saint. To her, success has been how she's affected people in the world in a positive way. To another person, it could be how can I build the biggest company and employ people and bring, uh, you know, a certain kind of abundance to other people's lives through work and everything else. Um, and I think that if we look at our own value system, each person will define success in different ways. But definitely, anyone that was chosen in the book. Even a dreamer, even if I talked about a dreamer, they did it so well. Like they were the most, you know, known for their work and most lauded for their work. So I think there is a, a level of excellence
0: to whatever these women were doing. I think that's uh, so beautiful. And I think it's so important for someone to to make those connections Um, And and put it into writing, because we don't hear it or see it often enough. And I think in the current time, it's starting to happen a little bit more where it's acceptable to do things that are more creative and, and, you know, follow your passions and your dreams. But I think for decades, it it just our culture wasn't open to that. And and to say, hey, um, uh, there's there's success in different ways. And, uh, you know, here's a way to appreciate it and 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 here's someone that's doing it at such a high level like you explained
1: and not only that you know what's very interesting is for example when we talk about uh a few people in the creative arts ella fitzgerald or um uh ella fitzgerald wasn't a trained singer you know that's incredible Mm. that she she got to this level of excellence without having had any training. As a matter of fact, when she was doing an audition, first she wanted to dance. And then last minute she said, okay, maybe I'll do singing because the dance uh, competition is really tough. Um, when we talk about uh, Catherine Graham, who was the leader of uh, the CEO and president of Washington Post, you know, she was a battered you know, she was abused as a, a woman. Um, she had a husband who was a manic depressive and who committed suicide. And it was only after uh, she had four kids and after the suicide that she actually came out of the shadows and began to lead Washington Post to its newest heights. I mean, that mm. is something incredible. These stories are stories of people who of second chances, people who had this insatiable yearning to be better, to do better, to move forward and what they did with it. Um, and I think those are the inspirational stories because everybody will have obstacles in their lives. And how often we we've been told, well, you know, unless you do this and this and this, you can't do it. Well, I think there's no question that we all have to put in a lot of hard work, but natural talent and, um, and also having the right mentors really helps.
0: Such great, um, such great, great advice. And I cannot wait for my community to, uh, check out some of these books because I think it's going to change people's lives. Just reading these stories from your perspective and the way that, um, you shine a light on, on what it looks like. Um, And I think it's, it's so incredible to have worked on a project like that and leaving a legacy behind that could truly impact millions and millions of women and how they choose to live their lives through these stories. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick little break to hear a short message from our sponsor. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Square Root is the official in-house florist of the Ritz-Carlton Laguna Niguel and the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. They are the leading force in the special event and floral industry. They are a favorite choice amongst celebrities and have been featured by print and media outlets including shows on Bravo, VH1, HGTV, The Style Channel, and many more. To create a unique look for your next event or for artistic floral designs, visit squarerootdesigns.com. Welcome back, everyone. So, Angela, I wanted to touch back about the organization that you mentioned, Visionary Women, that you co-founded with your best friend, Lily Bossy. I've attended a few of these events in Beverly Hills. And so I have this firsthand experience to say that the offerings to women in terms of resources is wonderful. Um, there's workshops and speakers that, uh, that people have access to that otherwise may not have. You talked a little bit about your inspiration behind this organization. Um, what, was, what was that like starting it? Yeah. Well, you know, the good thing is that when in my late 20s,
1: I had co-founded another nonprofit called uh, Looking Beyond. And so I had some um, background in starting a nonprofit. Um, I remember clearly we uh, Lily and I were sitting at a restaurant and I was telling her how I really, you know, um, I really want to start like programming things and bringing speakers and doing something like that. But it it really has to be a nonprofit. And she looked at me and she said, well, that's exactly what I would love to do with you. And it was just that moment of us connecting and saying, this is a shared passion. Why don't we do this together? It'll be so much fun. And here's another tip for people um, in terms of, you know, I always say, it's not about this kind of um, dreamy thing of saying, well, whatever you want, you can bring into your life. I think if you really put a decent amount of hard work, you can make it happen. So for us to do this nonprofit, you know, filing for your nonprofit status is easy. It's about how do you grow it and how do you bring in the people and how do you make money and how do you give away money? And at every point it's like running a company. At every point um Lily and I have felt that we'll learn what it takes to make it bigger, to make it better, to make it work more efficiently. And that's what's been happening in the past five years. I mean, um, to think that um, this year, just this quarter, January, February, just in three months, we gave away two hundred forty-five thousand dollars to various women's initiatives, a hundred thousand for COVID-related relief relief funds. But to think that then suddenly, if you pull the voices and the resources of other women in your community, you can have a much bigger footprint in anything you're doing. And impact is one of the most important things in our lives, certainly for me and for Lily. So it's, it's been great. It's been a great learning experience. It's been a lot of work, but it's been fun. I always say if it's not fun, and if you're not feeling that the challenge isn't making you grow in any way, then, you know, maybe you need to reconsider what you're doing.
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. What is the long-term goal of the organization? And is it, is it mainly to just fundraise for those different causes? Is it to help women build on their personal and self-development journeys? Um, through their careers, what what do you see that long term vision looking like?
1: Well, I think you know the DNA of our uh, organization is one in which we feel that community is very important. So we want to build a community where women can get to know each other, uh, network. Uh, learn together we have coffee and conversation series once every month so we have speakers that's a more intimate level we have members only events where we have a Nobel laureate come and speak you know all kinds of things and then we have the big salons where this year we had um, Gloria Steinem come and speak I mean it was fabulous we had 600 people there for that talk so um, that's one building a community, but inherently in doing this, we want to make sure that not only are we learning and growing, but that we're giving back. So we have this membership model where we 100% of the membership money goes to women's initiatives. And this is the best way of us feeling that we're doing good and we're giving back. And the long-term strategy is that You want to, you know, we've been actually people from San Francisco, New York have approached us to replicate this model. And we're very hesitant because I think we want to make sure that we have everything, the DNA down pat, the procedures down pat, uh, pat right. And I think that it will become a nationwide uh,
0: organization. That's that's our dream. That could be just you know, some of the most incredible women in the world, a part of something like that?
1: Of course. And, you know, when you really even think about study uh, YPO, Young Presidents Organization, it's an international organization with chapters all over the world. But uh, it's sad to say that in YPO, probably 1% 1% or 2% have women members who are members. There's mostly spouses who are women there. I think there's a lot to learn. You know, we can really learn a lot from other organizations, but add our own twist and make things, uh, make things our own. And, you know, I think what we're doing, which is very special, is really inventing a new way of philanthropy. So the philanthropy isn't about going to a luncheon or dinner and giving money and being seen in that way. But it's going to an event for two, two hours. Um, you know, you have a high level speaker and people, the culture that we want to um, instill in all our members is open heartedness, um, openness to meeting people, being friendly and helpful.
0: I love that you put that focus on just that community of women. And I, I, out of curiosity, have you watched the new uh, miniseries on Netflix, Self-Made, the story of Madam C.J. Walker? Talk
1: about diversity yes. because she's the first African-American uh, millionaire self-made woman. You don't, even, you don't even think about African-American. She was the first millionaire self-made woman. And she happened to be an African-American woman. I interviewed her. No kidding. No kidding.
0: Wow. That story. Um, I just, I mean that story of perseverance. Um, and I, I could feel that because I've been through that too, building my business. I, I cried through that story and just felt moments of joy and just to, to just see what she faced and overcame. It's, it's remarkable. Absolutely. Remarkable.
1: It's remarkable. But you know what I think? I mean, and she was in my Visionary Women uh, uh, book. She was a chapter in Visionary Women. Her vision, I mean, honestly, to think what she thought about opening up a company, a factory, going nationwide. And you see that how she capitalized on networks of women. They didn't talk about it in the documentary as much as in the book. But what she did, she would actually go canvas every neighborhood, go to the churches and talk about her product and enlist people to help her sell it. She went to every church. I mean, it's unbelievable how hard she worked, but she was
0: capitalizing on community networks. Well. Yeah, it was, it was great. And I don't know how, how much of this, because I didn't read the book. I watched the series uh, where, where she ended up getting that initial investment that she was looking for from that wives group. So, yes. so that was true. Yes. That's, that's yeah. amazing. And, and, and that's when, when you were talking about your vision, that's kind of what came to my mind was, was what those women had kind of created, you know, just this group of yeah. women that, that was yeah. very supportive. So amazing. Um, so another thing that I wanted to uh, ask you about is your, is your recent book, Creative Couples. And it, it sounds like it, 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 that book is about um, what the power of these amazing couples created together and i know you're married and you have children uh i would i would love to know what was the inspiration behind that book because it's 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 a turn from focusing on just women to all of a sudden it's this masculine and feminine energy and what that creates right right
1: i you know i for uh, very selfish reasons but i think it, i really think that my fourth book is my best book yet One is that I probably have 400 source materials, so there's a deep level of research that went into this. But um, there's two reasons why I think this book is really important. While I was doing research with the women leaders, even if you look at my second and third book, even with Visionary Women um, book, is that I noticed that many of the women who, who were tremendously successful in their fields, either had a partner, a father, a brother, or some significant other in their, um, in their lives that were of great help, of great support to them. And so one I started thinking, this is really interesting. I mean, if 40% of those women in my past book had a partner or a husband that was so supportive, I wonder what that looked like if they were working together. And then secondly, I think when you really think about it, and I stress that in the many uh, women's conferences that I've gone to, as much as I enjoy being with women and learning with women, I always feel that we need to include men in our conversations. I have great respect, admiration, and love for the men in my life. And nowhere, you know, you know, a lot of people, which is still strange to me because I don't think of it as that way, but when they hear feminists, some people start thinking about the second wave feminists of the 1960s where there was a little bit of a backlash and anger towards male counterparts. But new wave feminism is about we want to work with our husbands, with our brothers, with our colleagues. And we want to also not only have them in our lives, but also in then, uh, like nurture our, both our feminine and masculine qualities in ourselves. Mm-hmm.
0: And what does mm-hmm. that look like? That's really, that's really interesting. That's very, very interesting.
1: I think that's the next conversation for the women's mm-hmm.
0: movement, mm-hmm. really. It's about working mm-hmm. with
1: men because we're not working in a vacuum.
0: I, I think that's a great point. And, um, it, there has been, especially with the Me Too movement, there's been this, uh, this backlash, um, I think, especially at first and it's created a divide. And I, I know a lot of incredible women in my life, but I've also had some very, like you said, some very, um, strong and important, uh, mentors that were, that were men And um, there's a lot that they bring to the table. And if we shut them out, um, I think it it, it hurts us too.
1: Absolutely. And they have a lot to gain from us as well. So it's both ways. And. You know, one of the things that, you know, beginning of our program, we were talking about mentorship. One of the things that has come about, and I do think that the, uh, you know, Me Too movement was necessary because there was a lot of abuse mm-hmm. going on. But, you know, with any movement, there's also this backlash of what are some of the negative side effects of it. And one is a lot of men don't want to mentor young women. Mm-hmm. That's true. Because... They're
0: very afraid. That's true. I, I have a, a I'm, you know, won't say, I won't mention names, but somebody that is an executive director of a very prominent law firm in Los Angeles, and because of everything, they don't allow uh, uh, men and women at the firm to take lunches together anymore.
1: Well, you see, and I think that is a disservice to. Hundred percent agree.
0: Absolutely agree. So we need to reimagine those relationships. Mm, I like that. that. Now I'll ask a, I guess, I don't think it's a personal question, but um, something a little bit more intimate. In your opinion, uh, how should a person select their partner in life? How should a woman or even a man select their, their other half? Um, How should
1: they? So, you know, I talk about it in my fourth book um and that is uh, that i i'm a big proponent of jungian uh, uh psychology mm-hmm. and carl jung used to say and i think that even if you look at bible stories if you look at a lot of um me- mythology uh, or even on a spiritual level they always say that a human being is made of two two polar opposites. One is the feminine and one is the masculine. And what is really important as a human being is that we become a whole person. And being a whole person means that you develop both your feminine and masculine qualities. And the more in tune and aware you are of yourself and who you are and what you bring to the table, the better choices you make in a partner. So, um what makes people attracted to the opposite sex, for example, is women tend to have worked on their feminine, uh, you know, uh, attributes. And so the weaker shadow aspect of their personality is the masculine. Mm. And it's very interesting that the blueprint of what we think is masculine usually comes from our early childhood experiences with our brothers and most likely our father. And so we take that blueprint and we, as an adult, we get drawn to people that fit that blueprint or they are somehow filling in a need for us that we have in, within ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always say that a relationship for it to work out, one is that I think the more self-aware we are, the better, the more likely uh, it is that we'll have a more healthy relationship. But secondly, looking at a relationship from a framework of commitment, personal growth, and deep love and sharing. Um, I think no long-term relationship goes without challenges. So we all need to have sharpen our um Our skills, interpersonal skills, we all need to know that we're growing entities. And for example, I got married very young at the age of 20, and I'm a completely different person Mm. at this age, at, at the age of 52. And I think at every crossroads, my husband and I have been lucky enough and mindful enough. To come back and renegotiate our roles and who we want to be as people. Interesting. He's- very interesting.
0: Renegotiate who you want to be as people, and that's something. Yeah, and as wow, a wow. I think that's um, I think that's very interesting, and I I I don't hear that. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that.
1: Well, and uh, you know, I have a couple of really interesting case stories in this book where you know one couple. Uh, really changes so much, and the other one is completely oblivious mm. and wants to hold the other the the other couple as you know who they used to be but you know that's that 's something that takes the energy out of a relationship mm-hmm. for uh, for a relationship to be ever
0: alive and growing it needs mm. to change. It needs to change and evolve and, and, and the relationship needs yeah. to be a living entity like anything else. Exactly.
1: We always call that in psychology a third mm. body that, you know, there's one body, the male body or whatever, two, two bodies that come together and the intersection is the third body. And that is a living mm. being.
0: That's a living relationship. Wow. It's, it's called a third body. This is something that, I, you know, I, we can go look up and, and, and read more about. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. So, so interesting. Um, well, you've covered so much, uh, the, this last 30 minutes has been one of the most enriching experiences for me. And I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. Thank you so much for this, uh, talk.
1: Thank you so much for your, um, insightful questions. And I really enjoyed talking. Thank you. you.
0: I want to just ask you a couple, a couple of final questions before we wrap up here. Um, what do you think is your life purpose and do you think you're living it now? Oh, that's a big one.
1: Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think uh, people could have various life purposes. I think one of my life purposes was to raise, you know, good kids. Um, and, uh, I think so far so good, (laughs) but I think, uh, you know, I think a person can have various multidimensional purposes. I think one of my purposes is to be my best self. And what does that look like? You know, it changes. And, you know, every year I start the year by thinking about those things. I think one of my other purposes is to really um, connect with people and change lives in, in a way that seems meaningful. Um and again, I think I'll always opt for, you know, when we talk about the happiness ingredient gradient in our in our lives. I'm, I'm a very happy person. I'm very lucky about that. But I have to tell you, I never think about it that am I happy or am I not? I think that's not the end goal. The end goal should be having a life full of meaning mm-hmm. and interconnectedness and then happiness comes along mm-hmm. with it. So as long as I feel that I'm living a life that speaks to my truest values, um, I feel that I'm, you know, going on that route and who knows, maybe my purpose will emerge in a different way, you know, five years Mm. from now.
0: So one last question with everything that you have lived through your life experience, the information that you've learned from the greats that you've studied and written about, What is one piece of advice um, or or some type of wisdom that you would want every woman to know that maybe they don't, uh, you know, it can be one or two things.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll talk about focus on one thing, which was actually the biggest epiphany for me, myself. And, you know, working with a lot of women, I led um, uh, many, many workshops on personal growth is that women have a tendency to feel like they're not enough. I certainly had that feeling, and I still have it from time to time. But this feeling of not being enough, not just that not-enoughness permeates our lives in so many different ways. And what I found in... in these like visionary women or in the people and pioneers of the possible is that a lot of these women were successful because they weren't thinking about perfection, how to be perfect. Um, They actually looked at what were they really good at, and they tailored their lives around their strengths. So... This is really funny coming from a psychologist because we are, you know, constantly thinking about growth and personal growth. But if it comes from a place where we feel like we're not enough, that's not Mm. a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's wasted Mm -hmm. energy. How about if we feel that we're already good enough and we'll start with there and build on ourselves? And this is exactly what they did. None of these women had perfect lives some of them had failed relationships some of them were you know fantastic in their work and yet they had character flaws that's that's mm. life that's what it is uh, nobody's perfect but they make the best of what they had and you know when we were talking about CJ Walker that's a prime example she was selling a beauty product but she had no you know she was not a mm-hmm. beautiful person mm-hmm. So how does she Mm -hmm. work around that? Hmm.
0: This is just, it's, it's everything you're saying. It's so inspirational in it. And it just, um, it makes me feel so much better about myself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that we all should feel better about ourselves. I mean, you know, I think that we beat ourselves up way too much, Mm -hmm. way too much. And you know, starting with an affirmation in the morning about something that you're really good at, what you're Mm -hmm. grateful for, and starting from there and then continuing that train of thought and putting your energy behind
0: the things that bring energy into your life brings more energy. That makes so much sense. That makes so, so much sense. Um, This has truly, truly been um, an an honor and and, uh, uh, the information that you've shared um, is going to truly be impactful. (laughs) Uh, so thank you again so much for um, your yeah. time, Angela, and uh, I, I look forward to um, promoting information about your book to my audience, and uh, hopefully more more women will look into that and uh, um, start. I think their first step because I think what you have truly covered and you, the perspectives that you have, they're they're different. They're they're not the common um, things that that inspirational speakers talk about. It's it's this very beautiful artistic. Um, lens that you see the world through and and the way that you see women through. Uh, So, uh, wow.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our talk. And um, again, I look forward to seeing you
0: again. Thank you so much, Angela. And if there's any uh, way that people can connect with you through social media or a website, uh, go ahead and and share that information.
1: Sure. My website is AngelaNazarian.com uh and angela is with two l's a-n-g-e-l-l-a nazarian.com a A visionary women is my nonprofit, visionarywomen.com and of course i'm on facebook and instagram as angela nazarian Uh, and i look
0: forward to connecting with with your audience thank you again so much uh I hope all the ladies enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Uh, very memorable for me. And if you guys would like to stay in touch with me, you can do so. You can follow me on social media at TheArzoYusuf. Uh, also, Sexy Boss Babe is at the TheSexyBossBabe. And you can also check out our website, www.SexyBossBabe.com. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. If you like that episode, share it with a friend and subscribe to the Sexy Boss Babe podcast on Apple Podcast so you don't miss out on future great interviews and topics. And leave a review. I promise to read it.